This episode of the Vincast is proudly brought to you in part by Different Drop, uh, online wine retailers that exclusively work with Australian producers who are usually making wines in very small volumes using some innovative and often sustainable practices. Now, if you're a fan of the uh, Intrepid Wino channel on YouTube, you might have seen some of my Let's Taste or Let's Taste Live videos. And uh, usually uh, a lot of the wines that I actually taste on that channel, you can actually buy from Different Drop. And um, even better, when you see the Let's Taste Live uh, videos, uh, they've actually been sourced from Different Drop. So I worked with the guys to put together an interesting kind of pack uh, and usually, um, you know, some of, some, some of the time they've, uh, from previous guests of the podcast and hopefully some future guests of the podcast, including today's guests. So, um, I do suggest going to differentdrop.com forward slash intrepid wino to secure some of those amazing wines because they don't really last for very long, uh, of course, because they're made in very small volumes. Uh, and make sure that when you do go to purchase, uh, that you put in the code Intrepid Wino, and the guys from Different Drop will give you a 10% discount. Very generous of them uh, as a support of the podcast and a support for those fantastic Australian wines. In this episode of The Vincast, I chat with Alex Head, one of the most exciting and game-changing winemakers based in the Barossa, producing exceptional wines from Rhone varieties. Hello, Vincasters. Welcome to another episode of the Vincast. My name is James Gersbrook, otherwise known as the Intrepid Wino. And thank you for being with me for another episode. Um, I hope you enjoyed uh, the last episode with Dan Buckle. It was fascinating to chat with him. And um, I look forward to trying some Chandon wines. It's actually been a little while since I've had some Chandon wines. So, um, uh, um, you know, if you're a lover of bubbles as, as I am, then, um, yeah, you should definitely try some of the uh, special cuvées that he's been making. But uh, uh, I'm excited about this week's guest. But before I talk about um, this week's guest, you might have seen the first Let's Taste Live episode I did, which was on Australian Grenache. And in fact, one of the wines on that tasting is from uh, this week's guest. So um, I've got another one of its type coming up uh, actually on the 28th of uh, September, 6.30 p.m. Australian Eastern Standard Time, looking at six different Australian Riesling wines in this time, uh, this case. Um, uh, I've worked with the guys from Different Drop to uh, get six wines from different regions and different producers. Uh, so it's going to be really interesting to look at those Riesling wines uh, and with a, uh, a special guest, a sommelier friend of mine. Uh, so if you want to um, take part in this fantastic uh, tasting, uh, I do su suggest going to the Intrepid Wino channel on YouTube uh, and you'll find uh, under events uh, a way to actually set a reminder to actually tune in live and that way you can actually interact with us as we're tasting, ask questions, make comments. Uh, it's going to be fantastic. Uh, but don't worry, if you can't make it live, then uh, you'll still be able to see the video on the Intrepid Wino channel uh, afterwards. So, uh, so I hope you uh, will actually join us. And uh, thanks, obviously, to Different Drop for uh, working with us to put together such a fascinating tasting. 
So my guest for this episode is Alex Head. Uh, Alex kind of came across my radar uh, several years ago when I was the wine buyer King Godfrey. I was really impressed with the quality of his wines out of the Barossa, uh, particularly those from Rhone varieties. And uh, he has gone from strength to strength, has really established a, a great reputation for himself for his wine. So I was really excited when he was over in Melbourne recently to sit down with him for uh, a good chat about his background. And he had quite an interesting journey. So I uh, hope you enjoy this episode. Please uh, stick around to the end of the episode so you can find out how to get in contact with Alex and myself. Um, but until then, uh, we'll see you on the other side. Alex, thank you very much for joining me here in the Vincast studio. My pleasure, James. Uh, so I uh, start every episode, as my listeners would know, asking my guest if they remember what the first interaction with wine was that actually kind of set them on the path of wanting to make wine their career. But let's face it, their, their life really... Uh, first interaction with wine was uh, my father's a priest and uh, he used to serve a bit of port wine on Sundays. So it was definitely my, the first time I ever wine graced my lips. But graced, I, I like it. Yeah, I certainly didn't think about it as um, oh my enlightening light, light bulb moment. It, it was, but that was definitely the first. But I guess in Wait, so you, so you would you would have a bit of wine even when sneak you were young. A bit. Dad used to sneak a bit after always after the uh, after the sacrament the leftover. Yeah. yeah okay. Um, but um, I, I definitely think the the first experience of drinking wine and thinking, hey, I I enjoy imbibing um, the good stuff was in college. Um, I was introduced to a, the, the wine cellar club at college and uh, we all had accounts uh, so that wine was free essentially and until um, you had to pay for it. And uh, yeah, I just enjoyed it. Was, it was free until you had to pay for it. Okay? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, when you're, when oh, so you're, it was like a wine, on, wine student, on credit. And you've got no money. Oh, yeah, so got, it was like a hex got, loan. Yeah, essentially on <laughs> wine. So that that allowed me to drink wine way beyond what I could normally afford. Where, um, where were you studying? At Sydney University, uh, St Paul's College. Um, so college, as in you were you were boarding? Yeah, it's a it's a place of residence for uh, men um, and women ar- around the country that that um, uh, yeah they need somewhere to live. So where were you where are you from originally? Uh, Carlton, born in Carlton. You're, you're from Melbourne. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> but long obviously a long time ago. Um, so why in, so so why Sydney? Oh, uh, I grew up in Perth. Right. Okay. Um, and then lived in Glasgow and then uh, lived in Perth again, then Hobart for sort of equal amounts of time and then finally Sydney after after uh, finished school. Right, okay. So what were you studying in, in Sydney? Uh, I did a science degree and uh, in a particular ma- majored area? in biochemistry, uh, microbiology, a little bit of marine science. Yeah. Did, did you have an idea about what you might want to do as far as a career? No, and that's why I just wanted to get a, a basic science degree out of the way. So um, I knew while I was figuring it out I needed, I just needed a degree and uh, that would give me the opportunities later on. But the connections... So you had interest in science? Yes, very right. much so. It was about the only thing I was good at right. um, and had remote interest in besides sport, wine, food. Do you, girls, think, do you think, to a certain extent, that kind of fed into your, the wine later on? The, the, do, you, do you like the sort of the science of wine? Um, definitely the technical side. I like numbers. Um, I've got a good memory for numbers, and um, 
maybe it's some form of um, uh, learning dis- uh, disability or uh, dyslexia or I've got this weird thing for remembering numbers and technical details. Mm. Um, uh, definitely figure that out at university, I think. Uh, try to avoid anything to do with English or reading. Right. Um, you like the kind of the black and white of the, yeah. of the numbers. Yeah. Oh, okay. yeah. I'll pick up a, a, a technical book and, and love reading it, but I, I just can't read fiction, uh, non-fiction. So, fiction, fiction, sorry, yeah. What was it that you kind of liked about wine when you first started getting interested in it? Um, I, I liked collecting things, you know, and I liked the the way I liked the complexity of wine as, and I enjoyed uh, just putting things in my mouth. It's a real sort of uh, probably a hangover from childhood, just mm-hmm. you know, sucking on anything I could. Sure. Um, yes, food wine was about the most important thing um, through college in particular. I got involved with a bunch of guys that really loved. The, the food and wine. Uh, we started a club called the Tiresians and uh, we used to meet and re- read poetry and uh, drink incredible wines at sort of restaurants that we couldn't afford. And um, That sounds very Dead Poet Society. It was, yeah, there was a little bit of that, a little bit of mid- <laughs> midnight meetings with great bottles of wine. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I mean, that was a, it was a time when I, I certainly wasn't thinking about careers in the wine industry but I was... I was sort of fascinated with um, uh, anything to do with wine, and and I suppose if if I wind it back to first year, there was a time where we were going to the Marlborough Hotel bottle shop, yeah, and trying uh, every week trying a different cask wine, and I got to the point where I could tell you. I started to understand wine through cask wine. And there were, you know, 10 different brands and five or six different casks per, you know, and I knew how much they cost, the price per standard drink, yeah. the varieties that were in them, yeah. which one was sour, bitter, which one was slightly sweet um, and got to the point where I probably started giving people advice on the best cask wine to drink. Yeah. So and that, and that obviously rolled into bottled wine through the college cellar where I didn't have to pay until you know, I worked worked summers in the gardens. So it would literally, be like, just put it on my tab. Yeah, put it on the tab. Yeah. Oh, okay. So that was that was great because of that access and and sharing as well. Because if you know, if you buy a bottle of wine with two two friends, the wine in, instantly becomes thirty three percent of the value. So, but it also becomes know, we, a, a conversation point. Yeah, you know, yeah. Rather so, than having it by yourself and, and just thinking about it, you can actually discuss it. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, we were, and and the converse, and the conversations flowed. Of course, at college, um, not just about wine. There was I, I met some really really deep thinkers, people who were were really interested in uh, in things beyond food and wine. Mm. So it was a great time. I'm sure. Yeah, like there would have been, uh, particularly in terms of like the. the, the did did you feel like you you said you talked about sort of having these discussions about poetry, but mm. did you kind of like drink wine and think, oh, you know, this theory, this theorem, or you know, this kind of this particle, something like that? Like, um, did it sort of did you kind of find any inspiration as far as science? Uh, at that stage, I don't think I don't think the wine was the cerebral element um, or the t- the technical 
discussion. I think we were just uh, exploring um, drunken uh, conversation mm-hmm. and um, yeah, talking just pushing, shit, as it yeah, were. pushing, uh, <laughs> pushing the topics, pushing, yeah. And, right, okay. um, so, what did you do post post university? Um, I I launched pretty much into a massive sort of overseas um, holiday, yeah, and. And followed uh, food and wine. That was the main main thing that I, I went to Europe for. Um, went to a lot of different wine regions, uh, cities. Drank as much sort of four French franc a bottle wine I could find, um, particularly in Paris. Um, and I think during that six months, really decided that when I got back to Sydney, um, I wouldn't do. I wouldn't put a lab coat on and do urine assays. Um, and sort of be indoors. I'd I'd really explore the wine industry and the and the you know whether or not it was vineyard or or retail or wholesale. Yeah. I just, so the gastronomic kind of journey in Europe that was sort of where you went. Oh, I'd just like to do this as far as a job. Yeah, yeah. I had to go overseas to then figure it out. Yeah, so, interesting. I, I mean, I spent three years at. Sydney Uni, having no direction. Coming, coming out of it going, oh, I don't Yeah, not, I don't not sure, yeah, not yeah. quite sure. And it was the travel that, that, that where, I, uh, where I figured it out. So what was it that, that you most connected with? Like, like what, what sort of places oh. did you most connect with as far as sort of food and wine and, you know, I guess sort of did you kind of have an appreciation, did you learn an appreciation for provenance as far as where it was coming from? Well, obviously, yeah, you look at, you look. I just loved going to a place and tasting food and drinking wine and and understanding people um, in that environment yeah. and looking at the history and uh, you know why everything had come to that point and why that experience was important to them and mm-hmm. who they were. And, yeah. And um, yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. So. Coming back, you're okay. So I got I back. I got back to Sydney. What, what can and, I do? Yeah, and um, I started uh, working in as a, a cellarman in a Kirribilli hotel. So just learning about how to clean beer lines, essentially, and set up a pub and, and a cellarman as opposed to cellarman. a cellar hand. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's right. So a lot of time in a cold, cold cellar, and and at, at that stage, wine was an interest. And when I worked in the bottle shop, it was it was um, you know spend a third of your salary on uh, on bottles of wine each week, mm. and that rolled into a retail position for a for a wine retail r- retailer in Sydney, mm-hmm. and and into management and running stores, um, and I ended up. At Paddington Fine Wines, which was a little standalone store, um, which doesn't exist anymore, I think it's turned into a BW. Trying to think, is, is some another of my previous guests talked about? Well, it. I think Hugh and Hook used to work there at at one point. Dave Brooks, did Dave Brooks work there? Possibly, yeah. Oh, he worked at Ultimo Wines. And, no, he worked at. I know, I worked with him at Langtons. Ah, okay, yeah, yeah. radio. So um, yeah, we're all connected. Hey? It's a small industry, uh, and you all end up in the Barossa. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, 
what was I doing then? So, so, so you must have spent a fair few years in in that kind of retail retail sphere. environment. How I did, did. How did yeah. you find that sort of at that period of time? What was the retail market in Sydney for for Ooh, wine? It was just for- it was it was post um, the initial online selling. Um, or no, online selling was about to start. So we were all. Um, um, uh, just salesmen um, selling booze, right? We, we, Literally, just bricks and mortar. Yeah, talking to people, right? Um, uh, there was no real email campaign marketing. Yeah, there was no um, mailing list stuff. No, no, happening. no. Yeah, so da- it was data collection and yeah, no, not yeah. at all. The only the the only places, and I was yet to work at Ultimo Wine Center. Um, they were just doing. Uh, paper offers every quarter. Um, that was about as, as advanced as it was. Just so snail mail. Just yeah, okay. re- really. Yeah, letterbox drop yeah, yeah. kind of okay. stuff. Uh, so that was um, nine, sort of late nineties. Sure. And and uh, I was very much interested in the Barossa at that stage. Um, well, I'm, I'm assuming that in those positions you would have had the opportunity to meet. You know, distributors and and more yeah. importantly, producers, and kind of yep. get the opportunity to chat with them and talk talk with them. You know, see the wine, sort of discuss sort of what you liked, what you kind of connected with. Yeah, you 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 would have at the moment that it's sort of um, wine trade day season, and you know, back is. back then in the late nineties, you'd go to a trade tasting and there'd be a thousand people in the room mm. and that was the real way of communicating of wine to mm-hmm. the retailers mm-hmm. which i was a retailer and um then you would then verbally communicate with your customers who would come in the shop and talk to you was there less of that kind of taking someone around like what your distributor here in melbourne has been doing uh no um, that today? We, we would meet winemakers um they would come they would come with their distri- the wholesaler distributors. Mm-hmm. Um, probably not as thick and fast as these as as these days. I'm sure there was a lot yeah. less of them, lot less producers, yeah, less distributors. There was, there was, yeah. So you could fill the shop with every producer, but these days, yeah, forget it. There's, 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 uh, there's such gr- great diversity these days. So. Yeah, I mean, small batch winemaking is just it's never been better in Australia. Yeah. Yeah, it's become more, more and more infinitely complex. Um, the choices today, um, retailing, retailing, which is where I, I get, I guess I started, um, was s- a lot simpler, and and um, you could have intimate knowledge of the of all of the consume all of the producers um, pretty easily. Sure. Uh, now it's a lot, I'd imagine it's a lot harder. Yeah, of course. So, um. But at a certain point, you what what sort of came first? Was it uh, wanting to make wine, or was it the brasser? Def- yeah, definitely not wanting to make wine at that stage. Um, I was just had this incredible thirst for knowledge for for wine as a whole industry. Yeah, and I didn't, I wasn't interested in the problems of the Australian wine industry at that stage. I was just sort of young and keen and. Full of beans, and I was go go when go. You say, and when you say problems, uh, like to look to to look at the whole Australian wine industry and think more about let's all move forward together, right. and make this a great industry, and um, 
back then I was just a, a guy who was who was interested in talking with people about food and wine and yep. selling wine and doing a good job for my boss and and um, doing a good job for Australian wineries selling their, their, their wine and promoting it. Of course. So um, but, but that sort of real interest in the, the intricacies of the Australian wine industry as a whole, this would come later, later as I worked, as I worked in other areas of the industry mm-hmm. because I, re- I moved away from retail because I felt I'd, I'd sort of, uh, I was tired. I was, I was getting to the point where I'd done as much as I could. You'd had your time there and you yeah. kind of wanted to yeah. do I'd, something else. So I'd probably done 10 years at one point. Yeah. Okay. And, and, and um, I think the monotony got to me. Sure, and sure. I just noticed my mood was a little different. Mm. So, so um, I moved on to other things, some wholesaling as well, um, sort of taking a step back from the coalface. Sure. And then at one point uh, I decided I wanted to be an auctioneer and learn about wine, sort of auctioning wine. And this was right when the internet uh, internet sales were taking off and I, I went and worked for Langton's and we were pushing on, into online sales as opposed to live auction. Online auctions, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it was a, that was a fantastic time, really interesting time. Was and was the idea to sort of just essentially take what was what, what an, a live auction was and kind of find a way of putting it, making it into that online experience? I guess it would have been a bit different because they, they kind of yeah. advertised for two weeks and then there's that... That, that closing yeah. off period. It was, all, it was great. In 2003, 2004, or 2004 when I started at Langton's, it was all it was groundbreaking stuff. We were, you know, the, 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 the money and the energy going into building online was, was incredible. Mm. Um, and, and people were starting to do email campaigns. Well, we were doing them for a few years before at Ultimo. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were building databases and d- targeting people. And, mm-hmm. And giving people incredible service, and with with the online auctions, instead of trying to fill a hundred people in the room um, every month, we were getting half half of people half of us, people who were interested in wine in Australia online at the right time. Yeah, and we you yeah. know you had two thousand people buying wine within a within a one week uh, offer. I remember when I so, when I discovered Langtons, and I kind of. You know, I was still a pretty fixed income, but I, you know, I'd try and buy whatever I could. I remember that kind of mad rush. At, what was it like six p.m. on a Monday? Yeah, yeah. And and just kind of hoping, hoping, hoping that someone wouldn't outbid me at the last minute. Yeah, year. it was oh, it was such a such a rush. Yeah, it was like for a lot of people, sort of not gambling, but it was you well, know, like people stock were addicted. Yeah. yeah, it was. You know, um, you didn't see that scene in uh, the Wolf of Wall Street, did you? Them, them, you know, going on onto online wine auctions and going, yes, we got a, 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 <laughs> yeah, a good vintage. Of- well, there was certainly, <laughs> I think, at one stage, there were certainly people who were bidding on the same thing, but on the phone with each other and online at the same time, saying, you know, um, don't bid, I'm going to buy this. And oh wow, uh, yeah, um, groups of people getting together, forming syndicates, buying lots of wine. You know, how can we get this wine? Well, we need more people getting together. To buy that case, and then we'll split it up. And it was, yeah, because that was sort of that would have been around about the time that eBay was probably you know started to hit yeah, its real a peak. After, yeah, yeah. I mean, we were so we were doing um, before 
about six months into launching online, the turnover of the business was, oh, I mean, it would have been five, six times what we were doing with live auction. Yeah. And then that continued, the growth was, was incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, and just right time, mm-hmm. right, right place, right time. So that was exciting. That was two years at Langton's and, and, um, and, uh, Dave Brooks came on board, um, with, for me about, about six months ago and I trained Dave Brooks up to do, to do my job. There you go. He took over and I went to the Barossa. That was end of 2005. And that was the moment when I sort of dropped everything and went to learn. Uh, how to make wine. That, a, that was the idea, was to, yeah. to go and make Yeah, wine. I'd been thinking about it for years. Um, I'd had a few sort of... Had you had any... Did you, had you done any vintage? Uh, I had. I had, but I, I, I hadn't formed head wines yet in my head. Yeah. And I, I just knew I wanted to give it a go because... Um, Oh, look, it, it was an incredibly complex reason why I sort of left um, Sydney and went to the Barossa. Um, if I could distill it quickly, it was um, uh, it was part mental health. Um, it was part uh, the fact that I'd been very sick and I'd been in hospital and I had a lot of time to think about wanting to create something. Mm. Um, my life was pretty sort of stagnant at that time. I'd built, I'd had to build up my physical strength, mental strength, um, and just got to the point where I think um, I had this manic moment and went, right, I'm chucking in the towel here and I'm going to do, I'm going to do um, what I think I'm supposed to be doing mm-hmm. uh, on, a, on a bit of a hunch. So, so yeah, left Langton's on good terms and made sure everyone was happy and, and off I went. And That's good. Went to... You know, was was mates with that. Had worked with Andrew Gard for for a bit. A really inspirational guy in the wine industry. Um, talked with him about the possibility at that time. He was national sales manager of Torbrick. Talked with him about the possibility of going and working at Torbrick and mm-hmm. trying to learn uh, from what I had considered at the time was one of the best groundbreaking business wine businesses in the country yeah and let alone in barossa yeah yeah they were just they were just so different uh, and there was this mania um with Torbrick, and i'd been following them since since my days at paddington and um and then at langton's you would have seen kind of oh, prices yeah. going up for yeah. stuff like runrig yeah. yeah you know quite like the, a fever pitch yeah know, clever that i mean the Torbrick, very lucky, launched at the right time, um, got on board with the right people overseas and had had the right people in Australia too. And, mm. uh, and um, so, yeah, so that conversation with Andrew Gard led to um, – I also felt like I owed them something from a conversation I'd had many years before where I needed some money um, because I was sick and – and uh, the first thing Torbrick and Guardian that said was, "Oh, we'll we'll make it happen. We'll have an auction. We'll raise some money, and we will pay for that treatment." And mm. and then I had that in the back of my mind, and I thought, oh, "I want I want to go and work at Torbrick." So and some way to repay the favour. Yeah, and I got there, and then there was my eyes just opened, and I I saw the most incredibly 
generous place. Um, I felt at peace. Uh, I was I was in the bush, you know. I was in the country. Um, clean Even though you're not that far from Adelaide, That's it does right. feel so yeah. different. Yeah, and and it was uh, it was kind of magical place, hauntingly beautiful. Um, uh, you could see. You could meet generations. You could see the generations of people there and what they'd come from, and the adversity. And you could see the land and what it was giving the people. And and I, you know, I guess I was away from um, the big smoke and all the crazy problems that were there, and uh, a real sense of community as well. Yeah, and 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 I was pretty interested at that point in high end imported gear. You know, my palate was probably developed through um, hanging out with people like John Osbeeston uh, from Ultimo at the time, Andrew Kayard at Langton's, yeah. you know, Andrew Gard. And and I wanted to um, m- perhaps make the, the European wine in the Barossa. And, and, you know, I was young and ambitious and full of ideas and, and, um, and thought I was going to, you know, Make coat roti in the Barossa, but um, and I gave it a crack in those early days. Had I've, you had I've, you been to coat roti at that point? Yes, yeah, absolutely, yeah. Um, and I really, because I was a scientist, I looked at things on the chemi- chemistry level, right? And I thought, there's a, I can do this, you know, I can do this. And I was young and I was full of energy. Anyway, I, I've definitely uh, calmed down a lot since then. <laughs> I was just thinking, I was like, yeah, and, wow, the, the uh, don't get me wrong, the audacity to yeah, sort of think that you could yeah. kind of. Was, you, so, so when you say that, do you mean that you wanted to make that style of wine or do you want to make the equivalent of that wine in the Barossa? Um, I... I loved everything about what the Barossa was doing at the time, but I felt that I had um, something that I could offer and that I could make a certain style of wine for um, people that I would I was drinking wine with. Sure. And I didn't really know how I was going to do it or if it was possible, but I just wanted to give it a crack. Ambition is, is yeah. sort of a but, way of putting it. You know, now, now I make wine and, and – you can't take Barossa out of the My wines are Barossan, um, but there's a little bit of a twist in them, and that is I'm always um, uh, – yeah, they're identify, easily identifiable, identifiable as Barossa wine. But yeah, of course. They're just with a slight finesse and lightness to them. My sincerest apologies for interrupting this fascinating chat on the Vincast, but I just wanted to quickly talk about uh, another fantastic partner that the podcast has, and that is Wine Companion. Uh, Wine Companion, of course, is one of the leading uh, wine publications uh, in Australia. Uh, Of course, there is the annual guide from James Halliday, which... uh, catalogues, uh, rates wines from around Australia uh, and uh, identifies the best producers in the in the country. But um, Wine Companion is also a, a magazine where you can read fantastic articles written by some really, really amazing writers about both Australian and overseas wines. Uh, and also you'll uh, find some uh, tasting notes and ratings in there as well. And all that information uh, is at the winecompanion.com.au website. Now, as a special uh, deal for subscribers, 
this, of the Vincast, you can actually uh, get a 30% discount on any subscription package simply by putting in the special code Intrepid3030 uh, at purchase uh, so that uh, they know that you heard about this fantastic deal and the subscriptions via the Vincast. So uh, I hope you will uh, go and support uh, Wine Companion. I appreciate their support of this podcast. Uh, and uh, thank you again for listening. So how long did you spend at Torbrek to then kind of think about it? And, I was only at, yeah, I was really at Torbrek for an extended vintage and that was, that was it really. Um, but I'd, I'd worked with, I quickly tried to surround myself with the, the people that I considered doing some of the best things in the Barossa. So, you know, Marco Cirillo was making some incredible Grenache. Old fine. Yeah, Sean Koleski is, you know, he's the, making some of the best Shiraz in the Barossa, but he's doing it on the quiet, you know, and, and I, a barrel tasting with Sean Koleski is one of the best experiences in the Barossa. They get a bit of interest for some of their quirkier wines, skin contact wine, isn't there? Some sort of Around, oh, wine? that's Koleski Koleski wines. Oh, yeah. different Koleski. Yeah, different Koleski. Yeah, they're oh, all. Okay. There's a lot of uh, Koleskis. <laughs> I'm, a bit, I'm a bit out of the loop. Yeah. So yeah. So I, I sort of quickly um, tapped into the community. Um, I was probably still selling a lot of Barossa wine when I was back in Sydney and uh, helped <clears throat> set up a few people's businesses, pushing them into wholesalers and. Um, finding places for people's wines and helping them getting their brands started. Mm-hmm. So, and at th- and at that time, I was trying to learn as much as I could about growing wine, making wine. Um, so there was a real barter system happening with me yeah. and and the people around me. And um, you know, I was making just you know five six barrels here of wine. I was just doing small stuff. So you were you were buying fruit from some of these people and then kind of make where were you making the wine? Uh, lots of different facilities. Um, oh wow! Okay. Yeah, so Cirillo, but all um, just in the Brossa. Yeah, just in the Brossa, Cirillo Estate, Laughing Jack. Um, I'm at Sharky at the moment. So, um, you know, my 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 business is still pretty small. It's just me, um, and I um, get people to do help me mm-hmm. actually. Um, yeah. So. so, so what what were the sort of the early kind of decisions as far as you know what you wanted to make, what, where you wanted to get fruit from, yeah, how well, you were f- going to make it? Yeah, the first thing was to get access to some good vineyard, and um, the way the Bross is set up is there's growers and wineries, and it's ver- it's a very easy place at the time for me to to um, start. A small wine business. Um, I didn't actually know the first year I arrived that head wine. I still didn't know that I was going to create head wines. Um, it wasn't until I'd made my first three barrels of wine and it worked out that I thought, "Hey, I've got to do this again. I've got to keep it going." Um, the wine, I launched the wine in Sydney. I sold out in two days, and I thought, "Oh, well, you know, I've got to do something here. This is this is great. This is working." So, accessing good vineyards and really thinking about soil types, uh, the growers, uh, in, working with intelligent growers, um, working with people that I loved hanging out with, you know, because um, making wine together with people that you don't respect or you don't like is pretty tough, pretty tough gig, you know. So, yeah, 
found the right people, found the right sites, um, um, and dra- dragged those people with me on the journey. So, so got them involved in all of the processes, and and then um, and within I'd say two years, I had a I had about four vineyards, four good solid vineyards, um, and and yeah, got and. Then really kept talking to wineries and winemakers all over the world, and just kept talking, taking the best bits of advice, and you know, going back to remembering all the the numbers and the figures, and locking them away in my head, and waiting for the right time to to utilize them. So, as far as um, what the process is, do you kind of keep different parcels, different? Uh, grape varieties separate when you're actually making them and and how do you make the decision about what goes into what, barrel and yeah whether, so whether you're using so winemaking for me um I, I haven't been classically trained i i didn't go and do any courses so um i just listen and um and i taste a lot i drink a lot of wine and then i just study 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 um and when it, comes time to um, talk to growers and work with people in the vineyard I I just uh, sort of start early in the season and and um, um, try and remember things so that down the track I can apply apply the knowledge back to 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 the wines and the outcome of the wines but wine making is cooking essentially get good ingredients um, don't. It's all timing, you know. Don't don't uh, poke it too much, you know. Um, uh, leave it alone, essentially, mm. and uh, and and um, yeah, hands off, and um, and think about. I tend to think about basics about wine. So, oak, fruit, alcohol, acid, tannin. I think about those things. The whole time I'm making the wine, and um, yeah, and and the balance comes, I guess. How how many wines are you making now? Uh, I think it's ten or eleven. So yeah, I've got a disease. I need to sort that out. I've got this sort of fascination with um, single site, single soil, single variety. Um, so there's no you, you might come to sort of look at a wine and go oh I just want that on its own sort of thing yeah pretty much so I I a lot of producers in the Brossa will focus on one site Headwines was always about um, single vineyard sites so I buy and work with growers at uh, least vineyards from all corners of the Barossa Eden Valley Barossa Valley okay so not just so, the Barossa you know, there's, also yep. there's 15 20 kilometers difference between um, north and south yeah uh, east and west and I have a terrible time driving around for the month before we pick at seeing every vineyard you know um, um, all day. Unless you're not having to go up to the Clare Valley or... Yes, yeah, get the Barossa <laughs> right. Stay, stick to the Barossa. Sure. So, um, so I love talking about and showing the different styles of Shiraz we produce in the Barossa um, and Grenache and talking about clones, talking about um, um, 
the structures of the soils. Vine age. Uh, yeah, vine age, um, soil age, mm-hmm. rock age, mm-hmm. uh, aspect. Elevation. Uh, slope, elevation, yeah. Um, all, all the little intricacies that kind of yeah. contribute to, to the Yeah, that's terroir. right. That's right. Really the nitty-gritty and... Um, and, you know, that sort of 1% rule, you know, I, I like to work on the 1% and the tiny things that make a difference and hopefully it adds up to, to sort of interesting booze. And how do you sort of make the decision because one of the wines that a lot of people talk about, you know, I suppose partly because it's a little bit more accessible is the the Head Red. Head Red, yeah. How, yeah. how do you kind of put that together? Yeah, know, so Head Red, head red is... is um, I make two head reds, head red GSM and head red Shiraz. So GSM, Southern Rhone, Shiraz, Northern Rhone. Mm -hmm. Um, They are big blends, essentially. Um, They are blends because the vineyards that go into that wine uh, have amazing fruit quality that comes off them, but perhaps um, not standalone uh, wine quality. But when you blend them together... Uh, you fill in all the gaps yeah. and you make you complete wine and the balance happens. Mm-hmm. Uh, blending is incredibly important um, f- to yeah to get that that com- complete wine. And head red is I guess gained a lot of popularity because obviously the price point it's entry level, mm-hmm. um, but um, and it touches you know it's eighty percent of what I do and it's at that sort of price point where everyone jumps in on but what it is is there's no there's very little uh wine making influence mm. so it just it it speaks of from all those corners of the brossa that i take the fruit from um when you put it together it speaks of the vintage sure and the brossa sure so head red gsm is um grenache based wine and it always shows the character of that yeah, mm. um, it's it's really interesting to see um, when you put the blends together. Um, the wine, yeah. So and it's yeah, it's great fun. And then all the the other eight wines that I do are all small batch, single vineyard, and they're wines that look uh, on their own. They've got the qualities, um, yeah, that you can sort of have a complete wine by mm-hmm. itself. Doesn't happen very often, yeah, but it does happen. And the sort of the other interesting one for me that I kind of discovered a little while ago was the the Nouveau Nouveau Nouveau. Yeah, Nouveau was a project I started in 2012, mm-hmm. and I I was quite aware of um, Barossa was making this particular style. We, we're moving away from the Parkerized style. It's been a 15 year journey, <laughs> um, and we. But we were still working with the original uh, planted varieties in the Barossa, which were for port production, so Grenache, Shiraz, Mataro. And I wanted to make one wine that wasn't from those varieties, that was red, that didn't use all the oak that we were using mm. and didn't have the high alcohol that we had mm-hmm. and didn't need the preservative um, that we were using and... Um, was in a lightweight bottle and used packaging that was recycled. And, you know, I, I just, yeah, I wanted to. You wanted to do something very atypical. Yeah. And, and I love drinking Beaujolais. Um, and I, I decided. It's from I, hanging out with Gardy. From who? Hanging out with Andrew and Gardy. Yeah. Well, yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, exactly all those years ago. 
So, um, so Nuvo, how was I going to make this sort of Beaujolais wine out mm-hmm. of Barossa? Because I wanted, I probably wanted to show people that Barossa wasn't all about big, big reds. So um, I got access to a few young vineyards, Montepulciano, Tariga. At the time, I didn't know they'd blend well together, but they have kind of polar qualities. And I put them together in 2013 um, from Tank and hey presto, it, it, it was born. So, you know, 12, 12% alcohol, light, fresh, Sunday lunch wine. And, yeah, definitely. You know, people would drink a bottle and they could still function and that and the job was done and mm. it's really taken off like yeah it's pretty popular now which is great so and the most important thing about uh, a vintage is that uh, you've recently had a, a new member of the family yeah yeah my little miracle our little uh, kelly and i had little xavier um about seven weeks ago and uh yeah little miracle baby so um yeah he's uh I'll try not to say too much because I'll get emotional. He's a little champion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, yeah, I think it was good that it didn't have happen during Vintage Day because yeah. it complicated things a lot more. <laughs> yeah, I'd like to say we planned that, but I think we were, we were lucky just to have him. Yeah, good fortune. Yeah. Good fortune. Yeah. Yeah, the little angels were were uh, helping out. Over good. time. Yeah. Um, well, look, I um, – I, I really appreciate you making some time in your very hectic Pleasure. schedule whilst yeah. you're here in Melbourne. And I'm sure everyone that uh, you've been showing the wines to have been thrilled with them. Um, but uh, thank you very thank much you. for being on the Vincast. It's great. Thanks for having me. And I really appreciate it, James. And, <laughs> and hopefully, yeah, we can, I can uh, get those wines into your mouth soon. Fantastic. Yeah. But um, what's the way that people can kind of get in touch with you? You've got the websites. Yeah, so um, the core of my business is um, my mailing list, which I started more than 10 years ago, actually. Right. So you just jump on the website and you can um, – I usually offer one twice a year, mm-hmm. um, just a mailing list offer. And the the address is oh, head, headwines.com.au. Headwines. Com. And on social media, people can follow you. Uh, yeah, Alex yourself? Headwine, uh, both on Twitter and um on Instagram. Instagram. And uh, if you want to hear about tastings and where to try the wines, you can jump on the Facebook page as well, yeah. which is Headwines um, as well. And, yeah. and it certainly was fantastic to have you on the uh, the live stream of uh, the Let's Taste for, yeah. uh, for, for Grenache. Yeah, Let's Taste. Yeah, and, Grenache, um, and, and it's International Grenache Day on Friday, don't forget. So, is it? Oh, yeah. we'll have to um, open a bottle of Head. Uh, old vinyl, old vinyl ancestor vinyl. or something yeah. like that. But um, thank you again and uh, looking forward to catching up again soon. Cheers, man. As always, guys, thank you so much for listening to another episode of The Vincast. I have been James Scaresbrook, otherwise known as The Intrepid Wino. And you can follow myself on social media, on Instagram and Twitter. I am at Intrepid Wino. And the podcast can be found at at uh, the Vincast. Uh, you can find my Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash intrepid wino. Uh, and you can find my YouTube channel where oh, I've got all the Let's Taste videos, uh, intrepid wino, one word. Uh, please subscribe and uh, watch some of the videos there. 
you can, of course, subscribe to the podcast on um, iTunes or the podcast app, Stitcher, Player FM, any number of different podcast hosting uh, platforms. Uh, and if you subscribe to the podcast, it means that you can get the latest episode uh, as soon as it becomes available. And if you do subscribe, please take a, a few minutes just to leave me a rating or review because it does great, provide me some great feedback, but also it's a great way to promote the podcast to potential listeners and also potential guests. Uh, of course, all of that information can be found at my website, intrepidwino.com. Uh, not only every episode of the podcast, but all the uh, videos and also lots of different writings that I've done in the past. So you can find about my journey myself. Um, but uh, I hope you enjoyed this episode. Please let me know at thevincast at gmail.com. Uh, and I look forward to uh, um, the next episode. But until then, bye. <laughs>